Thanksgiving and I want to give thanks to you know, the land and all the farmers and people who have brought uh, delicious food to my fridge, uh, nutritious food, all the many hands that uh, have made that possible. And I wanted to also give thanks to my family and especially my mom who, you know, she's always doing really nice things like making, you know, soups. And, and today she got me a really nice jacket for the spring springtime, so I'm just really grateful for the many gifts that I've received this week and uh, looking to find ways to reciprocate, uh, you know, whether it's for the, the people who've given me gifts or just, I have, I think I mentioned it last uh, podcast, but I started doing a, just a, something I do every, maybe a couple of days a week where I go out for a walk and I just bring a a garbage bag and I have a pair of like those tongs and just doing a little bit of garbage pickup because you know I'm it's just my way of kind of being in touch with my neighborhood maybe learning to be a good steward um Robin Wall Kimmer's book uh, Braiding Sweetgrass has given me a lot of pause um and self-reflection and it's a beautiful book and I'm going to be going through the second part tonight and before I do that I just want to you know just share that little practice that I started and I hope that maybe that inspires other people to start being more engaged like it's oh and I'm like this too and I think maybe I wonder if it's just a symptom but you know people are always trying to escape the city to go into you know go into nature so to speak and you know, go camping, and I wonder. And part of I understand part of that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and part of me also wonders too. Like, well, I mean, these buildings are on the land, and they're made of stone and wood and glass. A lot of them and steel. And I wonder, like, you know, maybe it isn't just about getting away from them. Maybe it's learning to be more engaged with the communities that we are in. And I don't mean like the smart city initiatives that I've seen where these technology companies want to put, you know, all these sensors and everything and, and security cameras and surveillance in these so-called smart cities to gather, gather our data and manage us like we're livestock, which would be like a, a digital prison and if you don't believe that me when I'm telling you this like it's maybe you know look it up but start researching and, and understand seeing for yourself smart cities Alison McDowell did a I haven't seen all of her presentations but she did do uh, a, a field trip a few months ago I think back in February to Utah and kind of presented what was going on there with smart cities and this push towards the fourth industrial revolution. So I'm just thinking, well, you know, maybe the key to finding a different way other than this, you know, fourth industrial revolution is to learn to become more engaged with the community that I'm already in. Because there's no running away from this. Like the, this fourth industrial revolution, this push is global. Because the technocratic, you know, as John Trudall said, the technologic 
um, elites or the system is really, I would say, hell-bent on pushing us towards that. And I don't like to, you know, just think that it's inevitable because I don't think it is. Like the, we have um, a huge creative capac capacity and we have the ability to choose something else. And I think maybe the key is to, is with some of the wisdom that um, Robin Wall Kimmer has shared in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, of learning to be uh, a good um, relative and, and learning about the, uh, like tonight I'm going to talk about um, in her book, she, uh, in this, in the second part of the book that I'm going to be sharing, she spoke about the honorable harvest and what the, and what that means. And I think that's probably going to be the focus of tonight's podcast is the honorable harvest and what that is and, and the dishonorable harvest, which is kind of what the Western empire, you know, this technologic world is that's at the heart of it. And maybe that will inspire, I know for me, inspire much thinking and self-reflection as to you know, how can I make a difference and how can I align my decisions and my attitude and my uh, even my thoughts and feelings towards living in, in accordance with the honorable harvest? Um, and how can I minimize the damage that I'm doing on the planet with the, you know, this dishonorable harvest and the fourth industrial revolution to me is a massive dishonorable harvest because all those sensors and all those pieces of technology they have to come from somewhere like a computer and a, and a phone and uh, a laptop they don't just materialize out of nowhere a lot of minerals and a lot of uh, energy is used to create them and I'm not saying not to use any of this stuff. I'm using a computer right now to record my podcast. I'm using a microphone. I have a camera and I enjoy photography. All I'm saying is that maybe we don't need as much as we think we do, right? And the fourth industrial revolution, like they want to put, like I kid you not, if you just you know look up MIT and Stanford and all these universities that have these research programs, and they literally want to put like anten antennas all over the place. Like remember how I was talking about five uh, G and electricity and the invisible rainbow a couple weeks ago? Well, they want to put these things, the, these antennas, all over the place. So not only are we going to have more EMF exposure, which is really bad for us. But all those, all the minerals and all the material that goes into making those antennas have to go, have to come from somewhere. And my thinking is like, can they just stay in the ground, or is there something else that they can go towards creating that doesn't hurt people and the planet? And I think there is. We don't need five G. We don't need uh, the Internet of Things and the Internet of Bodies. Like we just don't need it. It's not necessary for life. We've lived. I mean, that smartphones have only been around for, I think, since maybe like the 2000s. And before then, we 
we got on just fine without them. Life was maybe even a little more simpler, you know? And now that, you know, sensors in our fridges, sensors in the concrete, not joking, there's smart dust, uh, sensors all over the place in our bodies even, like looking at the internet of bodies and it's not just human beings and human bodies, but animal bodies, plant bodies, mineral bodies, like I'm telling you, it's literally everything. And their whole justifying this is to, you know, oh, we can mine the oceans and put dynamite down there and blow it up to get the minerals. I'm just saying, are you joking? Like, that will kill so many innocent creatures that uh, live in the ocean and are there for themselves, not just for us. And so, you know, these, these same people and these same corporations that have polluted and destroyed so much of our ecosystem now wants to create this whole smart infrastructure and call it sustainable while still pillaging and taking from the earth? Like, no. And it's only because, A, they want to control life. So they, they're on a, a mission to... Uh, become like little demigods and if again if you don't believe me just check out uh, there's a book called Deus Deus uh, oh I can't dang it I can't remember but there's um, oh, I don't have it with me uh, but I've seen it in books and I've seen it where uh, these if you listen to the lectures by uh, a lot of these technocratic people they you know, they talk about wanting to extend life. They talk about wanting to be to, you know, take consciousness and, and and move consciousness from a human being into a robot and so on, with the extent, with the intention of of living, becoming kind of immortal, and omnipresent, omni, omnipre, om, is it omnipresent, <laughs> and just being being having the ability to see and be everywhere and that's kind of like a godlike tendency and, and I don't think I mean I don't know how you're gonna they'll try and I don't think they'll succeed because no one is above God and uh I or the or goddess like which whichever one you prefer and like no one is above that I'm sorry like no one's above the cosmos but they want to try and I think the way to or the way forward is to, I'm finding is learning about other ways of being on the world. And I think Robin Wall Kimmer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, has a lot of wisdom to offer and how we can start to move in that direction. Because I think if most people, you know, if they really knew what was happening, wouldn't really want this. I mean, it sounds cool, like the the marketing and everything sounds really, um, you know, snazzy and it sounds like uh, a utopia, but, you know, those utopias are often dangerous. I mean, all throughout history, you've had people promising utopias and they turn into disasters where millions of people die. And I just see this as a disaster which will harm millions of people, especially children. Um, because, you know, if you listen to, again, if you listen to lectures 
about transhumanism and about uh, the fourth industrial revolution. They really want kids because they want to harness, harness the creativity and imagination from children to build this fourth industrial revolution, to build these smart cities. And again, if you don't believe me, check out the work of Alison McDowell. She's done a, an amazing job doing a lot of research. I'll I'll link a I'll put a link to her uh, blog, Wrenching the Gears, if you want to learn more. Um, but she's done extensive research and research sorry research and has shown that <clears throat> um, that's what's at stake is that the, these companies want to take our children's futures and their energy and harvest it to create a world that we really don't want. Um, really. And I know our kids wouldn't want that either. So, and I think the way forward, again, with the braiding sweetgrass, um, I think that provides or helps to provide some wisdom that will help us move forward and, and navigate these weird times that we're in. And uh, when in the book, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer devotes a, a chapter called The Har Honorable Harvest. And this is... I think this is about the the second part of the book I've read. So there's still a few other parts that I haven't completely finished the book, and I think next week will either be the conclusion. So the the third part, part three, would be the the conclusion of the book. And then if I don't get a chance to read fully read part three, then I'll I'll just break it up into uh, four parts in total. Uh, so I'm just gonna go through the second part and just. What really stood out to me was the honorable harvest. And maybe tonight's podcast isn't as long as the other ones. As I think that for me, that what I really remember and what really resonated with me was when uh, Robin Wall Kimmer spoke about um, what it means to what the honorable harvest means. And what that what the honorable harvest means is that a lot of indigenous people um, were uh, taught had um, you know really important lessons passed down through uh, throughout generations about how or about the importance of only taking what you need like taking less than half. So when when uh, you know when people when indigenous people would go and let's say harvest rice or harvest berries. They would only take. They would take maybe uh, less than half, and then they would also ask permission and give thanks and gratitude to the uh, plants and, and berries and animals that give up their lives so that we can live, and and it's not waste. Like you know, us as Europeans, we can look at that as as waste. It's like, oh, what well, you didn't take the whole bush? Like that's you just let it go to waste? Well, no, because the bushes are beings onto themselves and and as well as the berries are also meant to be shared with other beings too like deer bears and so on and indigenous people know this so they only take um what what it is that they need and then they they leave the rest uh, as well as helping to steward the land and you know asking having an intimate understanding of of the plants and berries and asking permission before just taking berries or just taking 
rice or or sweet gra- sweet uh, grass because you know maybe that bush it was having a a year where they weren't able to produce enough berries and so they need a bit more time maybe another year before they have a a big harvest and so the bush you know will tell people that and be like hey you know sorry I can't uh, I don't have a lot to give this time uh, maybe next time you can come back and I'll have a bit more so it's just it's learning to part of the honorable harvest is learning to listen to uh, the land and learning to listen to trees and and bushes and understanding that when we receive gifts from the land that those gifts they they were a life they they were a life that belonged to other beings and they give up their lives so that we may live and then in return you know we give back as well and that's kind of the at the heart of the honorable harvest is the uh, is gratitude and reciprocity being grateful for receiving what the earth has given us and not just going in and taking you know blasting holes into mountains and taking uh, minerals out of there but it's also just it's it's just taking what the earth gives us and then uh giving in return so maybe it's to, you know like for an example, you know, we eat, we take the berries and then uh, we keep some of the berries and their seeds. And so when we're done, we take the seeds and, and and replant them in the areas where the berries are growing so that new plants can can form. Or uh, by seeing that some, maybe some leeks or some uh, berry bushes are really crowded in one area, maybe there's a way to help as as. Uh, we're picking the berries to kind of thin it out and and move it around a little bit or it but help the bush kind of thin themselves out so that more uh, bushes can receive light and and with more light comes more growth and more prosperity so it's learning uh, it's understanding that we need the we need plants and trees just as much as that we they need us and there's a relationship that human beings and and trees and bushes and animals have had for thousands of years and i think in europe and especially ancient europe we lost that we lost our way not completely i mean there are some like with the celtic spirituality and so on there are still remnants of that nature-based reciprocity and gift giving where we understood like uh, in Celtic spirituality which is what I'm learning more about we understood and saw a spirit in in the land we saw a spirit in our, our streams you know streams were often looked at as goddesses uh, water goddesses you know we saw spirits in rocks and and trees are very important and trees are very respected and uh, and being good stewards of the land and taking care of the land. And, you know, that kind of changed with monotheism where at, where human beings were placed on top of the pyramid instead of being in an intricate relationship with all beings. And that kind of has helped shape our perception into seeing the world as just a resource.
And like I spoke about in the in part one of Braiding Sweet Grass, how that has also shaped the language and how we uh, talk about our Mother Earth as an it instead of a, as a as a who, <laughs> as a being. And you know when we talk about her as an it, it becomes easy to um, exploit her and just to take and take and take. And even sometimes in ecology and, and environmental studies, like the, you know, the focus isn't just to uh, learn to be in the, the that reciprocity and uh, gratitude relationship, but it's to create uh, ecosystems that are sustainable so that we can continue to take and take and take without getting it, giving anything back. And um, cause, and that was part of the honorable harvest that Robin Wall Kimmer uh, shared in the book and that that gave me a lot of pause for consideration as well because, you know, that <clears throat> I think being good stewards and ecology and environmentalism is, is important. But sometimes I wonder if environmentalism and ecology can also be used as a tool to keep this Western system, the predatory system, intact. You know, as it as it enables business as usual, where we continue to take and take and take without giving anything in return, or without understanding that you know, maybe it's it's time to stop taking so much and learn to live a bit more simpler and slower pace of living because. <clears throat> You know, there's only so much our mother can handle without, you know, like this is not an infinite, um, you know, there's that, that saying I've heard where you can't um, continue to kind of have, um, or there's not an infinite, or there's, in, there's finite re resources on the planet. Uh, I can't remember the exact meaning of it, but, or the exact saying, but that there's only so much we have on the earth that's not unlimited. And so I think learning what the Honorable Harvest has kind of brought home to me is to just to learn to live within my means and <clears throat> maybe learning to you know, learning to only take what I need and and to learn reciprocity and, and learning to be generous with other beings to be generous with my myself and to be <clears throat> generous and give back to people who have helped me along the way as well it is definitely a different way of looking at the world and i think uh one example that really stood out to me um in the chapter about the honorable harvest is um there was a student from europe i can't remember the exact country maybe germany and they came and they were staying with their uh, native friend and they were going to go harvest rice. And the Euro this European student noticed that the indigenous people weren't taking all the rice. They only took a certain amount. And then they were also dropping rice into the water and onto the land. But, you know, the, the European student didn't just stop to ask oh how come you know why oh why do you do that like instead it's like they the european student only saw 
know, what they were doing, what the indigenous people were doing as wasteful. You know, they didn't stop and step back and think that, oh, maybe there's a reason why, um, you know, they're doing that. I wonder what that is. And, and inquiring about it, instead, they saw it as wasteful and offered to design a system that was more efficient. <laughs> um, and that's something that's pretty common is that that hubris and European thinking where it's like we know we we think we know best when sometimes the best thing to do is just to take a couple of step backs or a couple of steps back and listen because there's probably a reason why you know other people you know people are you know indigenous people aren't taking all the rice and only taking a portion of it and maybe by stepping back and kind of you know checking our, our hubris a bit you know we can learn why and understand oh it's because you know yes this rice is also meant for other beings and yes dropping uh, the rice also helps to f in encourage growth as seeds as seeds grow in new places oh, okay that's really that's a that, that's a lot of wisdom i didn't know that there's something i can learn and that's something to learn from uh you know, a lot of European thinking is kind of a bit more on the, you know, I discovered this. Well, no, those truths are always there. It's just you just start listening, uh, listening a bit more and picking them up. But, you know, the whole notion of discovering, of discovery or thinking that we know best, um, that probably comes out of the materialism when uh, materialism was divorced by from spirit. And I think that now is the time to also maybe bring spirit and materialism back. And I think that uh, the honorable harvest is one way in which that we can learn to do that again. And only and learning to take only what we need and to leave the rest for uh, future generations and for other beings that share the same um, that share the land that we're on as well. And then learning about like how. Even for me, like, how can I start to give back? How can I start to help protect the water and protect um, the the land and, and learning how to be a good steward on the land? And the Robin Wall Kimmerer's book is really helping me to uh, think about that. Um, and then in the chapter about the Honorable Harvest, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer also shares when she went to a mall and how like she was trying to figure out how she can give thanks to all the items in the mall like the, the paper that came from trees and uh, you know the, the toys and the all the other uh, items that you know we commonly find in a mall and she had a hard, had a hard time doing that and it's because and she came to the conclusion that it's because a lot of the the items in malls are already dead. You know, it's not really a living system. And with living beings in malls, like most, I mean, maybe some malls have like live plants and stuff, but most plants are plastic. Most of the stuff in malls is plastic. The food in malls is usually like fast food, stuff that's not really good for us anyway. And yeah, a lot of the products are imported plastic stuff that is already dead um 
I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I, I sometimes feel that way when I go into malls. It's probably why I don't like going into them too much. Uh, I personally, when I go into a mall, I try and get it in and out as fast as possible. I don't like uh, spending a huge amount of time in malls. Uh, and maybe it's part of the reason is because, you know, I could kind of see how, yeah, a lot of there's a lot of dead energy in malls. And... Um, you know, they're not really conducive to a living system. It kind of goes against um, the honorable harvest, is, and it's more of a dishonorable harvest, where it's just a bunch, usually in malls, it's just a bunch of stuff that maybe we don't need, or it's a symptom of overconsumption. Um, and I, I was just thinking, like, again, like going back to how I can align my my own actions with being more um, I know this word get thrown around a lot, like the sustainable word, it gets thrown around quite a bit. Um, uh, but just aligning my word or aligning my words and my actions with more of a way of life that's life affirming and that protects life and respects life. Um, and whether you want to call it sustainable, it's up to you. Um, but just creating a life where my actions and my thoughts and my words are more in harmony with natural law and with mother nature than they are with the predatory system, uh, especially given that the predatory system is, um, you know, really bent on uh, breaking everything and making a profit off of it and stealing its life energy. Um, and yeah, so that's where I kind of, uh, that's where I, I left off at the with the book is uh, is that last part about you know how I can become uh, how I can align my, my my actions with 